please stand for the reading of God's word. Our scripture for today is Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God for that, for that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can distinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, it is good to be together. Um, man, it's good to open God's word together. So today, Paul is bringing us, really, he's like bringing it home for us in the book of Ephesians. We've gone through all of these just majestic truths. If you've missed a lot of those, we have a podcast that's just Sacred Mission Church podcasts on iTunes and stuff, um, or you can go to our website, sacredmission.church, and catch up on, on any of those, or if there's some you want to spend a little bit more time soaking in it. But today we're in Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. Here's how verse 10 kicks off the word for us. From the very lips of God, he charges us with this. Finally, so we've had five chapters of dense, glorious truth, and then finally, be strong. Be strong. I wouldn't have thought he was going to go this direction. It should surprise us a little bit. But his, the word he's going to send our way is, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians is leading us that all of these treasures that have been revealed to us, now what we're supposed to do with all these treasures is to be strong. You don't have to be strong if the life that God is calling us to is to spend our lives lounging around a pool on a cruise ship, right? Like some of you have experienced that lately and like, blessings upon your soul that you experienced that, right? Not pointing anybody out, but some of you were there just like two days ago. Um, so I didn't have to be like, be strong, Ellen. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be strong, right? It's like a very, you're just there, right? You don't have to probably be strong. But that's, he doesn't call us to a perpetual life of leisure, it's a blessing when we get to be in that situation. Where he calls us back to when we kind of reorient into ordinary life again is not a life of leisure. 
He's calling us to a life engaged in the splendor of what he's doing, and he's telling us on the front end to hang with him, you need to be strong. Do we, you know, what do we do? Is it like, okay, he's told me to be strong. God's told me to be strong. Do I go to the gym? Like, that's where humans go to get strong, right? You, you do push-ups, you go to the gym. Is this what he's talking about? This is not what he's talking about. Going to the gym is a great idea, but here it's not the place to go. Looking at this, just the way he very clearly communicated to us, the type of strength that he's talking about can't be found there. It can only be found in him. Look at that. Be strong in the Lord. Not be strong in the gym. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's where we get the strength. Okay, there's no other place. There's no plan B. For us to have the strength to live out the book of Ephesians, to live out scripture, for us to have the strength that he's calling us to as he wraps this up, he says it's going to be in the Lord, in the strength of his might. He refers himself three times there in that short sentence. Then additionally, we don't just need strength, but we need armor. We actually need the armor, not of the military. We need the armor of God. The armor of God. That's where the strengths come from, is the armor of God. It is his armor that we are instructed to put on. And I think like it's probably, it's probably a safe bet that most of us, when we think about living out Scripture, it's probably a safe bet that most of us, when we think about living out Scripture, don't think of armoring up. Just don't think we think that way. Like when I'm sitting in this room, I'm not thinking I need to armor up at whatever walks in the door or whatever comes into my mind. You know, I think like, hey, I think I can handle. And I think as Iowans, it's like, I, you know, I know how to handle snow, ice, mud. Like I kind of got this life thing down pretty well. Like I think like you take a bunch of suburban people, you throw them in Iowa, like they might die, right? But it's like we're kind of a tough lot and we've kind of figured out a lot of things about life. And God's saying, yes, that may be true. You need to armor up. In this room, in all rooms, we need to be armored up. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It is crucial to know that Satan, the devil, is not the opposite of God. You don't have good over here with God at the top and bad over here with Satan at the top, and they're equals, and they just fight against each other all the time. That's not the way it is. The devil was actually created by God, known as the angel Lucifer. Scripture even says one of the most beautiful things that had ever been created, and Lucifer, pride started growing in Lucifer where he wanted to be at the top. He wanted what only God had. God is infinitely more powerful than Lucifer was. Yet, Lucifer, and most believe before even the creation of, of humans, that Lucifer convinced a third of the angels to revolt against God. And these are the demons that we have today. The lake of fire in hell, we are told from Scripture, is designed for the punishment of the devil and his angels who have delighted, delighted in influencing continual 
pain and suffering and brokenness on this planet for thousands of years without stopping. He will be cast in there one day to never influence humans. But for now, we have verse like 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is terrifying, and thankfully there's a lot more of the story that we're going to step into because this, this one that we are told to stand against and resist, as Josh prayed, has been defeated. And the God that we worship and follow is infinitely more powerful. But what we're told here, though, is be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. One of the schemes of the devil is that he is all in trying to devour you, to absolutely ruin your pursuit of God and life in him. With Adam and Eve, let's just take a little quick tour through uh, just some high points uh, of, of where we see him in the Bible. Adam and Eve, his scheme, if you remember the way the dialogue went, his scheme was to get them to doubt God. Did God really say, don't eat of the fruit of this tree? It's interesting. He doesn't say, like, there's no God. I mean, it's like, Scripture even says, a fool says that. A fool says in their heart, there's no God. There's enough everywhere to say there is a God. And he even put that in our hearts. But for the devil to be like, okay, I can't get you this way, but I can get you a little bit off. Did God really say not to eat of the fruit of the trees? He said one of the schemes of the devil for all of us to know. He seeks to sabotage our lives through doubt, through questioning, through half-truths. In the book of Job, another scheme, Satan physically harms Job, trying to get suffering to just snuff out the flame of faith that Job had towards God. Now, that's, it's, that's a hard read. The book of Job is a hard read. I was a part of a church that went verse by verse through the book of Job, and after like week 55, the pastor announced that, that this was the last Sunday, and we gave him a standing ovation. <laughs> like, no joke. Uh, you can even hear it online. Like, um, it, because uh, uh, it, it's a hard book. It's really hard. It's confusing. Um, but what is so crystal clear in that book, too, is how much Satan seeks as a scheme to use suffering to snuff us out. In the temptation of Jesus, of all please, Satan shows up to tempt the one who made him. And the way he is tempting him is to try and get him to turn his back on the Father. And in return of turning his back on the Father, he will give him all of the world's evil power. Will raise him up. Interestingly, uh, this is a side note, Jesus only quoted the book of Deuteronomy to him. I mean, it's not what you would think. Like, hey, Satan's getting ready to visit you, and he's going to tempt you like crazy. Armor up. And Jesus is like, I've got the book of Deuteronomy in here. I don't need anything else. And uh, it's amazing that the only thing he ever responds is what the book of Deuteronomy says about God and that uh, push him away. In Matthew 13, we see that a scheme of Satan... And man, this is a, all of this is serious, but in Matthew 13, we see that a scheme of Satan that Jesus tells us about a parable of the sower is that when the word of God is shared with someone, Satan will try to snatch it up 
It's like taking all the seeds that have just been sowed, and it'll try and snatch it up so that it won't find a home in that person, and it won't take root inside that person. So these are just some of the schemes that we're told to put on the full armor of God to stand against these schemes. We're not called to run from them. Isn't that interesting? We're not called to run from these schemes. We're called to stand against them. We can't opt out of this. If we think we're not in it, we're being defeated big time. (laughs) We're already losing. If you don't even know you're in the battle, you're losing. We're called to stand against them. This is part of our mission as a church, to push back darkness. Verse 12 gives us this further clarity and motivation. And man, if you're like, well, I didn't know it, I must be losing. I mean, this is the gift of God for why we gather to hear his word to us is it opens our eyes, it opens our hearts, it sends us on mission into our community with the light of the world. Verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So this is not a we're losing. This is actually, I'm instructing you guys how to live this victoriously in our community. So take up the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand firm. It like gives the idea of like you could have all of the forces of darkness coming against you and you don't even fall back a step. To actually be able to stand firm in the evil day. The main wrestling we do with humans, this shows us, is not with flesh and blood. Our main wrestling is not with temptations to sex, money, and power. Our main wrestling is against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Most people, if if you're like, well, what are these things? I need to know what they are in order to, to, uh, to know when to lean in, uh, most believe that these are speaking about different types of demons. So we know through Scripture that there are different types of angels, like you had uh, Gabriel and Michael that are referred to as cherubim. And so that's like a classification of angels. And we think that this is like a way of, of thinking about different types of demons that are in this realm that we're wrestling with. There's no option to sit this one out If you think you aren't wrestling this realm, you are. The assumption going into verse 13 is that we are stepping into this. Therefore, now that you know this is true, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So thankfully, the Lord loves us and actually expects us to walk into this. So he's now going to explain and he's he's going to give us an itemized list of what the full armor of God is so that we can step into each one of these. How do we stand against these? Starts here in verse 14. And I just want to ask you, Jesus, would you just open up our lives here? Would you open up our, our eyes here? Would you just tattoo this on our souls, Lord, that in the midst of these schemes, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the forces of darkness, Lord, these things are real. Would you even like just whisper to us that these are real if we're feeling doubt about that and fogginess about that. And Lord, we just ask that you would form us to be a people that are taking up the armor of God. So as we step into verse 14, open our hearts, open our lives 
open us up to this, Lord, for the good of us, for the good of our kids, for the good of grandkids, Lord, for the, for, for the good of our community, Lord, would we be a people that are walking in this. Lord, do that for us, Jesus, in your name we ask you. Amen. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on, here's the first one, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Two parts of armor here are first mentioned. The first one is the belt of truth. I, I thought of like a police officer's belt is crucial. That's a, that's a huge part of a police officer is their belt. It's crucial for us to know truth. The schemes of the devil are going to hit us with doubts, half-truths, flat-out lies, cultural pressures that are not God's way. And as we wrestle, we need to have truth surrounding us like a police officer's belt surrounds them in the battle. Um, there was a, a Russian named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and he grew up in, uh, in an area um, of, in a time at Russia where like the official government policy was there was no God. And Solzhenitsyn was in the gulag, and he, he didn't know what was true. Everybody was telling him there was no God. Mother Russia is your God, all of these things. And Solzhenitsyn ended up winning the Pulitzer Prize uh, or the Nobel Peace Prize in the 70s. Uh, but one of the huge things that like, he gifted to the world through his experience is uh, he said the most, important, the most important thing in the world is one word of truth. If you are in an environment where you don't know, you pull out a compass and it's just spinning, and it's like, we don't know which way to go. We don't know what's true. We don't know which way is up. It's like, if I could just have one word of truth, that could orient my entire reality. And here, truth. As we stand against the schemes of Satan, our first must-have armor is truth to combat the father of lies. That's one of the titles of Satan, the father of lies. If we are actually seeking to stand against the father of lies, we must be grounded in truth, knowing what is true. Every word of this is true. And in addition to that, the second thing that's mentioned is a breastplate. Um, we don't buy breastplates today, but think of this as body armor. Body armor. What is the body armor? So we have this belt of truth. The body armor, as we stand firm, is righteousness. Okay, that can be hard to like, what is this talking about? How can we have a body armor of righteousness? Well, the simplest way, um, I, years ago, I had like kids asking me as we went through the book of Romans, like, what is righteousness? And it's like, wow, that's really hard to explain what is righteousness. And the simplest way that I could explain it is, is it right between you and God? Is it right between you and God? If the answer is yes, then you are righteous. Because he's the only one that we need to really care about, is it right between us? Because he's the only one we will stand before one day. And so to say you are righteous means that you have placed your trust in Jesus. What the book of Romans teaches us is that it's not, we don't like try hard to live moral lives to be right. Scripture is like, that is a losing battle. You are on a hamster wheel. You will get tired and fall out of that thing. How we get righteousness is because of the life that Jesus lived. He, he 
earned righteousness based on living the life in our place that we couldn't live, and we put our trust in Jesus, all that righteousness comes over, and it's just like, John Pelham, you put your trust in Jesus? There you go. And all of the righteousness that Jesus has, that's John. That's him. When God looks at him, it's like, John, man, is it right between us? And John's like, well, I've always tried to live a good life. I've tried to do more good than harm. He'd be like, really? I'm, I, I see that, and I appreciate your heart there. But I've also seen my son on the cross. And I've also seen my son's life lived in your place. And I gave that to you so that the righteousness that he has can be your righteousness. And you can be free. And man, when Satan's attacking you and you have that body armor, it is right between me and God. That's how you don't get knocked back. Because you know it's right between you and God because you've put your trust in Jesus, what he's done for us. Then verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I love this. So we're, we're just standing firm but we've got traction, we've got shoes that are ready to take ground, okay? We're not, in Iowa, like, you have to have shoes for everything, right? Like, when we moved back after being gone for 20 years, we had to, like, buy tons of footwear, because it was like, we have tennis shoes. Is that good for Iowa? And it's like, it's good if you want to go to town, but like if, you know, living in the country, it's like you're going to have mud boots, you're going to have this, this, this. Like we had to like load up on footwear because, because we had to like change our footwear out depending on the season, right? Well, what's amazing here is that when you have the gospel of peace underneath your feet, you have the traction to go anywhere. You can walk into any situation because you have the good news of peace. And you aren't sliding back. You aren't falling down. You're able to stand firm with the readiness. We're ready to get in the game. We're ready to be engaged in the true battles that are happening in our community. Because true peace is, is what we're standing on. And is what we're advancing with. Then he gives us in verse 16, more armor. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. At first, when I thought about darts, I thought about like, you know, the, like you're in the wherever and you're just doing this like little game of darts, you know. Um, that's not what's, that, that's not this word here, uh, which I don't even think they had darts like that in the Roman Empire. But the word here is like a bolt from a crossbow that's like set up at like 100 pounds or whatever. And not only is it a, so a bolt from a crossbow is going to do more damage than like a compound bow and some other things. But so it's a bolt from a crossbow that just to inflict maximum carnage is on fire, right? So if it misses you, it hopefully will still burn down your house. And what it's saying here, and then the type of shields, there are multiple shields mentioned in the Roman Empire. There are little shields that you would have and the little shields would be like, like hand-to-hand -hand combat, but they had other shields that were big shields that were like full-body shields and could even lock into each other. And so this word here is the word for the big shields that could even lock into each other. And so we're told to take up that shield, and what is that shield? It's faith. It's the shield of faith 
Jesus is the author of our faith. Author is a strong, he's the author of a strong faith in us as we call him Lord, as we, we look to Jesus to be our Lord. Um, some people, this is crazy, you might not think that this would ever happen. Some people saw God split the Red Sea and they were no better for it because they had no faith to see even the Red, split, Red Sea split in front of them. Some people walked up to Jesus. They were just, there were a whole group of people who walked up to Jesus and they were in so much pain and suffering and Jesus healed every one of them. And they all ran to tell their family that they had been healed and only one came back to worship Jesus. The other nine, they were temporarily healed, but they didn't have faith in that moment to recognize like the one that just physically healed me can also heal my soul. And they were no better off some people even saw Jesus after he had rose from the dead. And they were like, I can't believe it. Thomas is famous. Now, thankfully, Thomas ended up believing him. But he was, he was, Thomas was known for saying, even if I put my finger in his side, like that is the only case. Everybody could t- I could even see him right in front of me. But unless I put my finger in his side, I won't believe. And Jesus said, Thomas, like blessed are you, like you have you've." You believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. The value that he puts on that faith, and that's the shield of faith that we have. And it's amazing because like each of us have to come to Jesus on our own as he pursues us and draws us to him. But as we come to him, we have shields that can lock together so that we can lock our faith together. And that's being a church coming together. And as the the onslaught of the battle is on, we have the shields that can stop all of that with our faith. Then verse 17, uh, the last two parts of the armor of God are mentioned here. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our salvation is the helmet that's protecting our minds Man, this is like, as most, most warfare is, it ends up becoming like a mental thing, right? It's a mind game. And Satan's mental attack on us that what we have as our headgear is our salvation. That is what we've put on to protect us in those times. And it, it's that he's become, Jesus has become our life. Jesus has become our Lord. Jesus runs the show. He calls the shots. You are saved. He is your savior. And if you have a testimony like that, you have the helmet of salvation. And he says, don't ever take that off. Keep it on. And then, interestingly, we get the only offensive weapon. So all of this up to this point has been like, I could just stand here and just take whatever Satan's coming my way because I've got the bar- body armor that's right between me and God. I've got my feet ready to go. I've got the belt of truth. I am ready for this thing. I've got the helmet of salvation. And then he puts a sword in our hands. It's like, okay, here we go. It's time to take some ground now. And the sword in our hands is the sword of the Spirit. Trusting Jesus, upon believing in Jesus, we're given the Holy Spirit, who's our deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. The third person of the Trinity, Almighty God. With God, nothing is impossible. That God who is with us has placed in our hands and empowered the Word of God. It's the word of God. I mean, think of like a dense jungle and you can't even get through because the jungle is so dense. And then you've got this amazingly sharp and you can just start cutting a path and to go where God is calling us to do with this, uh, the first and only offensive weapon, a sword, the sword of the spirit. Man, each of us, Lord, would you teach us, 
each of us for our good and the good of our families and the good of our community, we need to know how to wield this. We need to know how to wield this. And man, it can feel like a mountain, climbing a, a mountain. But here's the thing. If this was like a John Grisham novel, it'd be like, I have to meditate on that for the rest of my life. It would be like so boring after like two years maximum, right? Probably way less than that. This is such a majestic work of God that we can spend the rest of our life mining the treasures of it and never come close to getting every stream and every seam of gold that's in it. Climbing a mountain is not bad when it's an amazing mountain, right? And so, uh, and, and this is what we have. Verse 18. So that's the armor. That's how we keep it on us. Now verse 18 is how we, we don't, don't let this armor fall off. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So because the power has to come from the Lord as we stand firm, prayer isn't part of our armor, it's how we live a life being armored up. Praying at all times doesn't mean, I think even a lie of the enemy in this area is thinking that prayer following Jesus means you have to quit your job, stop farming, and just spend the rest of your life as a monk. That is a lie. What truth is, is that we, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication, what that means is that as doubts come up through the day, as temptations come, as fear moves in, as sickness and suffering come, we can keep alert, we persevere, we pray, we have armor because we are praying in these moments, and we're just looking to the Lord in all of these moments of life. These can be audible prayers, or even they can be prayers under our breath. We see that in Nehemiah, where it's like, I'm talking to the king, this is a big deal, the king says something to me, I pray, and then I respond. Nehemiah wasn't like, you know, like, you know, the king would be like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm praying. I'm going to my... No, it's like in just the rhythm of his life, he is in a moment saying, oh my gosh, this is a moment. I need your power. Lord, give me your power. I'm going to say something that could cost me my life. And he says it. You know, that is praying at all times in supplication. I look to you. I'm feeling a lot of fear right now, Lord, in this moment in my job. Would you, would you meet me here? Would you counsel me? I'm in a lot of pain right now. Lord, you made this body of mine. Would you ease my pain? I need your strength right now. We pray. And here, we pray for all the saints. Our prayers should be like air that we're breathing for ourselves, but for those also around us who are also living armored up with the armor of God. As verse 19 here, we seek to open our mouths and to share this life proclaiming the mystery of the gospel now revealed. Paul's like, as I live this, I want others to have this delight, to walk into this, to have this victory. Let's not conceal it. Paul doesn't want to conceal it. We don't want to conceal it. So, so where do we go from here? As we, um, man, as we start kind of landing the plane on the book of Ephesians and seeing where the Lord is leading us next, as this hopefully is giving us a foundation, one of the things for, for us is, is if Jesus is not your Savior, just with all clarity and honesty, 
If Jesus is not your Savior, you have none of this armor. You have none of this armor. You are left to wrestle in your own strength against all of the powers of darkness seeking to overtake you, to take you out. And um, you will lose, and your loss will be tragic because you refuse to accept the greatest sacrifice that we've ever seen. Jesus' payment for your life so you can have him in his victory for your soul and receive from him his armor. And that's not to make anybody feel weird or bad in this room or to make you feel like you need to get out of this room. If, uh, man, it was like three years of me wrestling with the claims of Jesus before I bowed my knee to Jesus. And I was a part of churches that like welcomed me every part of that. And like, man, you come here as often as you want. We can meet. We can meet for lunch, for coffee, for dinner. We can go hunting together. We can hang out. We can do anything, man, because, because we, like, this is the most important stuff. And, uh, and these are the things we need to be wrestling with. And this is a place that people can wrestle as long as they wrestle um, but I would encourage everybody not to wrestle for a lifetime because you're missing the joy of living in that armor and he's missing your worship and he's missing just, um, there are treasures that, um, that many of us have experienced and we desire for everybody to experience. So, so man, would you even today, would you do that? Would you give your life to Jesus? Would you be all in and say, man, I want all of that. I want all of what Jesus has for me in this place. And man, I'm okay, Paul said this, I'm okay to even plead with you. I would beg you to trust in Jesus. I would beg you. I would beg you to do that, to find that type of life and not go one day without that type of life. And he'll start teaching you. You'll get the belt of truth. You'll get the helmet of salvation. You'll receive the body armor, knowing that it's right between you and God. Just being able to go to bed at night and know it's right between me and God. Man, that's, that's freedom, is how the Bible talks about that. That's called freedom. For all of us to respond, um, this is, our community groups are an incredible place for this, for us to, I mean, this is the stuff we'll be talking about over dinner this week, on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And I want to just tell you, like, our community groups are not the best. Like, if you go to a community group, you're not going to be like, well, that was not magical, that was just a bunch of regular people getting together and talking about how to apply this in their lives. And it's like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> They're not like the most amazing thing ever. But here's the thing. As we spend 20 years meeting, discussing God's word, praying together, um, sharing in the agony together, sharing, celebrating together, kind of giving up on the pretending that we live Instagram lives and to actually be real with each other, that we grow, we change. And God doesn't many times waste our change on isolation, but instead he allows us as we're together for us to grow together. Um, I've been around some people that resisted this for 20 years. And uh, for some people, they're like year one Christians every year for 20 years because they're, they're not gathering together to actually uh, to, to live out these words together. So, man, I would just encourage all of us that whenever it's convenient, whenever we can make time for it, um, for us to, to discuss this and to pray into this and to, to move towards each other as we're moving towards God. And our community groups aren't the only place to do that, but it is a time that we've all made time in our schedules that like, hey, this is, this is a time that all of us can make a priority to step into. And if you want questions, if you like have questions about 
about that. Probably about 75% of the people in this room are in those, and so just ask somebody around you. We can get you plugged into that. So those are, that's a way we can respond this week, but I think just for this morning, like how do we respond to this as we seek to stand firm in the strength of his might, as we seek to put on the armor of God, and thankfully he gives us communion as one of the ways. He gives us a special time in our week for heaven to come down and for us to commune with the king. That's what we're doing. We're communing with the king who gives us the strength and this power. And so as we step into communion, what we're doing is as we, we rip the bread and we take his body that was broken for us, that was lived perfectly in our place, that was given for us, as we take that body, we're really, it's a tangible way for us to say his life is my life. His righteousness is what I put on. I'm not taking this because of my victory. I'm taking this because of his victory, and I'm communing with him. Taking the bread, then taking his blood, which, represents, which is the, the dark color is wine, the lighter color is juice, obey your conscience there. Um, taking that his blood was sacrificially given for us. He didn't hold back one ounce of himself from us that his blood would buy us life, would cover us, would wash us white as snow from the inside out. And so, so the way that we'll do it here is we'll, we'll take those elements and then we'll just go back to our seats, stand together, and then we'll just take it as family together. The warning in scripture is against those who are followers of Jesus from doing this lightly. Don't do this lightly. Don't do this flippantly. If you need to spend some moments repenting of sin, um, getting right with God. He's right with you, but having our eyes open to us, getting right with him, confessing our sin, and then coming to the victorious table. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this will not mean anything. Um, what, what the meaning that I would encourage you is instead of taking this meal, take Jesus. Give your life to him in this time. Then you can take communion five minutes next week, but, uh, but take Jesus today. So let's all come, and, and I'll be up here if you want to pray into that as well. But those who are serving communion, if you would come, let's come and let's respond to our King.